This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. It's so great we've got a guest in the studio. Doesn't happen very often, does it, Blair? <laughs> Usually on the phone, but in person's better. <laughs> it's totally great. Yeah. Taylor Mark is our guest. She's a certified financial planner, chartered life underwriter, certified health insurance specialist, over 15 years of experience in the financial industry, um, specializes in estate planning, uh, which really comes down to income protection, wealth accumulation, tax. She's just got a ton of background and experience. She's the founder and CEO of Engrace Financial solutions and Blair just told me YouTube star mm-hmm. has uh, has a series on YouTube called Street Smarts with Taylor. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi Elaine. Hi Blair. Thank you so much for having me. Now um, th- did you want to talk about the the YouTube series because you were on yeah. it too. Is that why you want to talk that, about it? That's kind of why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe just just a, a quick Elaine or a quick Taylor if you can give our listeners a bit of a sense of you know what is Street Smarts? Why did you start it and what type of guests have you had? Obviously I was I think one of your most most recent guests. I'm looking yes. forward to getting that up. But yeah, can you tell us a bit about Street Smarts? Well, the idea of Street Smart came along because I have a tendency to spend a lot of time talking to clients about the different products and, and really spending time to educate them on the different options and strategies available. And then at some point, somebody should say, well, you should just you know have that recorded so you don't have to keep repeating <laughs> yourself. Right. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. So that started the, the journey to get to this, the Street Smarts with Taylor video series. And essentially, it's pretty short, uh, maybe around three to five minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's in the beginning for season is essentially for me to talk about some very basic things. What's RSP? What's TFSA? What's life insurance? And within a three minute period, you can't really get into it. In our second season that we just finished um, filming with you, Blair, mm-hmm. to be on our, as one of our guests, is, is to get deeper into the different subjects that we talked about in the first season. So, mm-hmm. for example, with Blair, we really got him to dig into how to deal with debts because yep. we had a video on debts, just a very general idea. Uh, and and the idea and the hope is to continue moving forward and, and to just to keep giving information to people and allowing them to have a place where hopefully they could trust me to to speak into uh, their financial planning needs. Excellent. Well, yeah, we'll encourage our listeners if they go on YouTube and they look up Street Smarts with Taylor, they yes. can like, subscribe, and see all the wonderful videos. Yes, and please, thank you. Great stuff. Well, it's good. Like, information's power, yeah, right? Exactly. And that's the key, is is to give people as much information as possible mm-hmm. to make the best decisions they can based on their own circumstances. And if they need more, then they've already, I would think they already would know you a little bit or feel like they know you to walk in the door. Yeah, and I, the idea of the videos really is to give the, the, the general public like at least some ideas of what to ask or mm-hmm. what to look into. Sure. And then they can go from there and talk to their own financial advisors on the different things that's suitable for them. Excellent. So the, the, the topic for this segment is with Taylor is called, What Do People Miss Out On? So 
I bet that there's a ton of things that you hear consistently from people that they're either uh, failing to consider or regret Mm -hmm. not having taken advantage of. And I really am looking forward to hearing your answer on this. So what are they? It's too bad that we don't have days to get into this and only Mm -hmm. just this time. Uh, I narrowed down to three different areas. The first one, the biggest one really, is that we can't turn back time and it's really too bad that uh, people don't think to start saving early, early on. Mm. And and they start feeling the need when, you know, all the all the craziness are done. Like the kids are grown, the mortgage is somewhat pay off, yep. and they can see retirement looming ahead. And then they start talking to someone like me and says, okay, what do I need to do to, to get you know, sets so that I would have a retirement income. And and that's when all the all the things come up as far as I wish we could have. Because, you know, if you could at age 18 or even as a child, the parents start saving on behalf of clients mm-hmm. and, and just continue moving forward. That would be so great because it's all about uh, the value of money and, and time. Uh, mm-hmm. The the. People hear about um, the miracle compounding as an example. Yeah, compound interest. And we talk about interest rates working against you with debt, Mm -hmm. but interest rates can work for you, right? Powerfully over time. If you have enough time to to save, oh my gosh, you could do so much with the power of compounding. Um, I have an example if we could get into it a little bit. So for example, if you're age 18, have your first job and you start putting aside $100 a month and just keep doing that, you know, just, just... don't worry about it and just keep doing that and just assume that there's a 5% interest rate over the course of that period until uh, your age 65, which is your average retirement time. You could have accumulated throughout that period of with $100 a month over a quarter million dollars wow. just to do that. And mm-hmm. if you actually break down the numbers, you only put in the principal amount is only about fifty six thousand dollars. You know, hundred dollars every month over the years, over the years. Yes. But the actual interest amount that is a, over one hundred and seventy thousand dollars, and that's the power of compounding go, going. You know, for that length of time. So that's awesome if you can start doing, let's say, at age eighteen. But if you have to do it, let's say, at age forty eight, which is where a lot of my clients start coming to see me about things like that, uh, then you have to at least put aside $800 a month to do the same hmm. work right. to get to that at age 65, right. which is a lot, and, which and, is a lot. And I really like your assumption here because sometimes I know various industries can get criticized for using very rosy assumptions. Oh, you're going to earn 15% in your money or 12%, yeah. but this is 5%. That's a reasonable long-term it's return, possible. right? Yeah. It's possible. Mm-hmm. But... The thing is, $800 a month to get a quarter million dollars upon retirement at age 65 doesn't get you very far. Mm. So if that's all you're, you know, all you got, then you really actually realistically need to set aside maybe two, three, five thousand dollars a month to get to the point where you're able to 
potentially retire at 65 and live out the rest of your life the next, what, 10, 15, 20 years or more. The longer we live, the more money you need to live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, And that's a crazy amount of money. Because if you're be. able to put away that amount of money a month, then saving for your retirement's probably not a, an mm-hmm. issue, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you're in another stratosphere altogether. And I, I like this... You know, why don't people start saving early? And I, I've heard this question asked so many times, and I've asked myself that question, like, why didn't I do this earlier? Because I'll, yeah. I'll know somebody who started saving when they were mm-hmm. 15 or 16. Um, and it's, it's almost, and my father was one of those people who said, start putting 10% away. But one, I didn't listen to him. But two, <laughs> he was kind of abnormal because not everybody got that as a young kid growing yeah. up to do that. Uh, and it's a it's a society thing, an education thing. It's people's stuff about money get in the way of passing good information to their kids. What is it? That It's all of that, is Elaine. And, and honestly, it's just... You know, it has to start at home. It has to start with the parents teaching their kids how to save, how to set aside that 10% is absolutely hmm. the thing to do. Yeah. Your, if there's nothing your else that parent. you do, yeah, <laughs> exactly. that, that's the one, if you right? could yeah. just do that, yeah. that would have been amazing. But aside from that, in our school system, we don't have you know a course that would really teach the, the kids in public school how to deal with money, how to start saving, what are the different things, how to deal with debts. That's yeah. a, such a big thing. And so that's one thing, not enough information. And the other aspect of it is that even if someone do get started in saving, the potential of having that account untouched for the next 40 or longer years is not really realistic because life happens Mm. and things happen. People need to buy their place. They need to get married. They need to travel. There's emergencies. All of that, unfortunately, get them to dip into their saving account, and that's where the pattern breaks down and and once again that power of compounding doesn't happen because we go into our money and need to use it so what i would think is is just finding a solution to first educate our kids properly and then second of all finding different things that we could do to to keep the money in place fair enough mm. now i know go ahead Blair. No, i was just th- thinking taylor if i was listening to the show now and i'm you know 18 years old and thinking i wish i was <laughs> and thinking okay <laughs> I, I can put away a hundred dollars a month i've also be thinking you know am i too small of a client to engage an advisor uh depends I would talk to you personally, yep. uh, but I admit most advisors will have a hard time taking on someone just with a hundred dollars a month. Right. So find someone like me, or <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> yeah. uh, Fair enough. Yeah. Or uh, you know, just to get started, it's perfectly fine to let's say go to where you do your banking mm-hmm. and and just set up a regular TFSA account and just develop the habit. Just automatic, really. 100 bucks moves over, and then exactly. after a few years, or even, they said, right off the bat, give you a call, or if you're not in their local market, they, sure. there might be an advisor that has a certain minimum size, but mm-hmm. you'll get that in a few years of savings, probably, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I'm so glad you said the TFSA, because you hear that a lot. 
but it stands for, and it works, tax-free savings account. And we have it in this country, and it's probably one of the best things that the federal government ever decided I agree. to <laughs> give us yes. and to take full advantage of it if you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you explain? Because we just have uh, about a minute, minute yeah. and a half You'll need or to so come left. back, Taylor, to talk about the other two big things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but, but the TFSA, because that's, that's totally accessible to everyone. And how does it work? Well, it's accessible to everyone 18 and over. Okay, and fair enough. I didn't realize that. Okay. And in BC specifically, you actually have to be 19 to get your first TFSA account started. Okay. So having said that, yes, beyond age thing, it is accessible to everyone. And I do have a video on the on my YouTube. Excellent. <laughs> Slow plug Cross there. promote. I like it. <laughs> Got to do that. Yeah. And uh, so TFSA is really just having the money inside this vehicle. It's really a wrapper. And inside this vehicle, it could be anything. It could be a regular saving account. It could be a GIC if you're doing this at a bank. Or it could be mutual funds or stocks. Uh, but whatever growth that you can get all of that saving account, that's tax-free. Yeah. And that becomes really powerful when you have a lot of money to work work with over time. Yes. So, And as long as you keep it in that mm-hmm. until you need it, right? It's not a taxable, it's not a taxable thing until you take it out. It's not taxable at all. Oh, because, that's, fair enough. Because the money that you put in there is after-tax money. And then, and then the, the beauty of it is then that whatever growth happens inside that account, that is the um, tax-free amount. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. That's why you do what you do, and I do this job. <laughs> Taylor Mark, I want to thank you so much for joining us here. Um, I want to mention your YouTube series again. If you want to access it, very easy to do. It's called Street Smarts with Taylor, and Taylor's spelled T-A-A-Y-L-A. Uh, also, go to Engrace Financial Solutions, and I bet you've got a website as well. EngraceFinancial.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Understanding your debt consolidation options it sounds like a whole bunch of, <laughs> sounds like some big words, but man, oh man, it's so interesting once I start talking to you about this stuff, Blair, because I had no idea, one, about all the different options and how they work, if they're of benefit or in the long term, they may not be the best suggestion or the best idea for you. And I love the fact that we're going to walk through uh, the different options for folks who, who may need um, a debt consolidation solution and uh, looking at the good and the bad news about them each. Yeah, I think it's really topical, Elaine, because anybody that I've met that's facing a debt problem, usually the first thing they try to do is to consolidate all the debt together. And let's let's just spend a minute just defining what we mean about by what we mean when we say debt consolidation. So the idea is with debt consolidation, if you're juggling multiple debts, uh, what a consolidation would do is going to simplify your life because you're going to make a single monthly payment to cover all of your debts instead of making multiple payments. So in the most common way to 
do this is you get a consolidation loan and the bank that's advancing you those funds, they pay off all of your other debts and you might have been paying, you know, 20% interest on one and 29 on another and 16 on another. Um, and what you do is on your consolidation loan, ideally, it's a lower interest rate than all of the other interest that you were paying. So, you know, maybe it's in the range of 10 to 12% instead of, you know, 16 to 29%. So you end up saving some money. Um, under some consolidation plans, you actually don't pay any interest at all, which we're going to talk about that. And under other consolidation plans, you can actually even reduce the amount of principal that you have to pay back. So I'm excited today because we're going to talk about you know, the traditional bank-funded consolidation loan, because that's what most people think about. But we're going to also talk about two other ways to consolidate debt that you might not have considered. Okay, well, let's talk. Let's go right to it then. Bank loans or finance debt consolidation. There's good news and bad news about doing it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so with the bank loan or the finance debt consolidation, as I mentioned, that's you getting a new loan, incurring more debt, but the idea is you're going to pay off um, all the higher interest debt and you're going to be better off uh, because you're going to save some money. So the big savings is typically on the interest rate. And then it's also from a simplification point of view, you've got one due date every month, you've got one person that you have to pay, you're not juggling a bunch of different things that can make you a little bit crazy. Um, so there's that benefit to it. Uh, What's the bad news uh, about it? Well, the bad news is, not to put too fine point on it, uh, most people don't qualify. So oh. most of the time, the people that would benefit from a consolidation loan are the folks that actually can't qualify for one. Because most of the time for a bank to advance a debt consolidation loan, they're putting their money at risk. And banks are pretty smart, so they're typically going to put their money at risk when there's an asset that they can take as collateral. So for someone who's got a house with, you know, very low mortgage balance, or maybe they've got some investments non-registered in the bank, or they've just got something that they could pledge to the bank that if I don't pay off this consolidation loan, you bank will be covered because you can take this asset. Um, usually if you don't have that, it can be very difficult to, to qualify for a consolidation loan. Um, you know, sometimes what a bank will encourage you to do is say, okay, we'll give you a consolidation loan, but we need you to co-sign that loan or have that loan co-signed by somebody else in your life. Um, and that can be just a huge mistake because suddenly you've taken all these individual debts that were just your responsibility, and now you've made the consolidated amount somebody else's responsibility as well. And maybe it's someone you care deeply about. You'd never want them to be on the hook for something. But if life happens, having a cosigner and you don't pay, that cosigner could be held accountable. That's so really important. For, to, yeah. you know, go ahead. Yep. I was just going to say, and, and I didn't realize the um, significance of having a cosigner and the responsibility that they're taking on. And they're, and people will jump on that opportunity just out of the goodness of their heart. But, oh, my gosh, it's the it's really, really a challenge for them if something should go awry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the, the book that I wrote a number of years ago, When Life Bites You in the Wall, not to give too much of a plug, but it's on Amazon, um, one of our, <laughs> our, our chapter titles is, you know, when is it wise to co-sign a debt? The answer is almost never. So yeah. before you're considering co-signing, have a conversation or have the person have a conversation with a debt professional like a licensed insolvency trustee, and you might find, yeah, it's a great decision for the bank, they're fully covered, but now you've just removed that person's ability to deal with their debts without really hurting somebody else who was just trying to help. Was there anything else you wanted to mention about the downside of using a bank loan or finance debt consolidation? No, I, I think in the event that you're able to qualify, they don't need a co-signer and either you pledge or you don't pledge an asset, um, you know, it can be a good, a good outcome. Um, but the, the thing that I see with my clients is people try it and they just don't qualify. It's not an option that's available to them. Got it. Um, credit counseling debt management plans. That was the next one that we wanted to talk about. 
Yeah, so if you're working with with a credit counselor, uh, this you basically are getting the same impact as a consolidation in that you've got all of your debts put together into a single payment. Um, but you're generally paying no interest, which is a really big benefit. So most creditors who agree to participate in a credit counseling program, they'll agree to stop further interest charges. Um, so this can result in your in your monthly payments, you know, really going to draw down your debt uh, and to you making a lot of headway. Um, and with a credit counseling plan, you don't need to have a good credit rating to qualify. When you work with a credit counselor, they're essentially a collection agent working for the bank. So when you negotiate with them, they're just concerned, are you going to be able to make payment uh, to give our money back over time? They're not concerned, is your credit rating high or low, or do we have to pledge assets or whatnot? Uh, So for some situations where it's just the interest rate that's killing you, it can be a good idea to consider a credit counseling debt management plan to reduce that interest down to basically zero. You're still going to pay some fees in lieu of interest, but there should be some savings there at the end of the day. Okay. Anything else you want to include on on the credit counseling part? Yeah, well, I think that the negative side here can be pretty significant. So, you know, number one is it's completely unregulated industry and in that there can be fees and other charges um, that you're not aware of up front. Or if you read all the fine print, you might be aware, but there's not a set tariff if you're working with a credit counselor to make sure that, you know, you're going to be charged a certain fee. So you need to be careful. Um, I think what's even more important, though, is that this is based on each of your creditors agreeing individually to accept, you know, an interest freeze. And there are some creditors that will just never accept that. Um, so the government, for example, is the number one creditor that you will never get to accept an interest freeze working with a credit counselor. So if you have an income tax debt or a student loan debt or something like that, um, a credit counselor won't be able to help you at all with them. And it's the case if you've got nine of your debts that want to participate in this plan, but one doesn't, that person can still harass you, take you to court, sue you for payment, all of those things. So it can work in some situations, uh, but it's not always the best option. It's something to consider. Yeah, it sounds like it's it's one that it's not going to work in more situations than it will. It really depends. Uh, for a small debt, maybe owed you know to one or two banks, you know it can be a good option. But you also okay. need to be aware too. Even though you're just paying back everything, but you're freezing the interest, it does hurt your credit rating. Um, so anytime you don't pay back all the debts in full plus interest, um, you're viewed as negative on your credit rating, and it's actually the same impact as if you really made a deal with your creditors and just paid them back a portion of the debt as opposed to the full amount. And that's what we're going to talk about next, which is a consumer proposal. Right, which covers so many of the things uh, that don't work in other plans works in this one. Absolutely. So a couple really key things to highlight. So virtually all debts are included in a consumer proposal. So it includes government debt, student loans, income taxes, all of that. Um, you don't need a credit rating that's strong or weak to qualify. Essentially, if you have debt that you can't pay, but you have some ability to make a partial payment, usually in the range of, you know, 30% to 75% of the debt, something like that can be quite low. As long as you can afford to pay off that portion of the debt, um, a, a a consumer proposal can be an outstanding option. And what's really different too from a credit counseling plan is we don't need everybody to agree. So when you consolidate your debts with a consumer proposal, you're maybe going to pay back 30 cents on the dollar. And let's say eight of your creditors want that plan and two of them really are resistant. As long as those two creditors don't have a majority in dollar value, they're forced to accept this plan. As soon as we get 50% of the people you owe money to by dollar value to say yes, a consumer proposal is legally binding on everybody. You can sleep well at night knowing that nobody can ever opt out. You can't be sued. Nothing can be seized from you. So a lot of the times we sit down with someone, they're trying to get a consolidation loan. They've been denied. When we actually put together a consumer proposal, they're better off on a cash flow basis. Um, They're able to rebuild their credit relatively quickly and able to move on without a bankruptcy to solve their debt problem. 
So if a consumer proposal is something you want to investigate further, check out the website sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation with Sands & Associates in one of their many offices in British Columbia. You're listening to Dollars & Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This is a great segment, Blair, uh, looking at signs that are telling each of us that we need some help when it comes to managing debt. Um, I know that you talk to people all the time, looking, helping them look for solutions to manage debts and get financially back on track. And I know there's some clear indicators that a debt problem has kind of reached that point of crisis. And you meet with people who have delayed getting professional assistance because they weren't sure of what they qualified for or where to turn to. So can we talk about that indicators that folks might recognize as to whether or not they have a problem with debt and, and, or be on the verge of having a debt problem? Yeah, for sure, Elaine. I think that's a great place to start. Um, and, you know, the, the feeling of having a debt problem, you know, it can be different for everybody. Um, and there's sometimes there's triggering events. There can be things where, you know, you think you're doing just fine and then suddenly, you know, you lose a job or somebody gets sick or there's a divorce or a family breakdown. Um, so, you know, there can be a number of things that contribute. But in terms of the warning signs, uh, it's one of my challenges in my job is people suffer for so long. And sometimes people that I, I sit down with, they're ticking off, you know, seven or eight of these, these different warning signs here where, you know, one of them might, might send, you know, a different person in to get some advice so you know right. here's here's a bit a bit of a listing of you know things if this is you know ringing a couple of bells for you it might be a, a time for you to consider whether you're you know there is a bit of a mounting debt problem so the first one and this one is just about everybody that i see is expecting is is experiencing this is near constant or overwhelming stress about money and general finances so you know there's the old adage if you think you have a problem you probably do and that's definitely the case with debt if you find yourself that there's a lot of stress you're worrying about your money and your general finances a lot uh, that's probably indicative that there's something not going you know according to plan there um, a second big warning sign and this one and more and more people are starting to, to really take stock of this is if you're only making the minimum payments required to service your debts so anyone that listens to our show knows we've, we've got a lot of, of information uh, about how minimum payments are not structured to get you out of debt and depending on the bank that you're with you might be making a $200 payment but only $10 of that is actually reducing your principal the 190 um, you know 1920s of what you're doing there is just going to interest and the next month it needs to get paid again so if you're only making minimum payments on your debts, that's usually a big warning sign that you're, you're on the long-term plan, which is great for the bank, but very bad for your overall financial health. Uh, another factor to consider is, are you accumulating more debt? So uh, every month, if you were to add up your debt balances, do they actually scale up every month because you're continuing to rely on credit uh, or maybe you're starting to get into the payday loan cycle, which uh, that never ends, ends well in my experience because the costs to repay a payday loan mean that you need to get a second one or a third one or a fourth one up until, you know, 10 or 15 of them are going on at once. Um, you know, one other one, and then maybe we, we can uh, chat about a, a couple of these, Elaine, uh, is using assets to pay down debt. So if the way that you're making your debt payments is by selling the things that you own, uh, or God forbid, tapping into your retirement funds, your RRSPs, or different things like that, uh, that's a big significant warning sign that, you know, something is, is, is really amiss there. 
And what about folks when we, because we see these advertisements all the time or hear them about um, uh, using your home or, yeah, using your home as an asset or as a way to uh, create money? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've all seen those and they make it sound so easy. If you're a homeowner, we can get you approved without a problem. Uh, and that's something that, you know, it breaks my heart when I see someone that's done that again and again. So someone who might have, you know, owned a house in Vancouver for 20 years, they should be pretty close to mortgage free. But what they've done every few years is they pulled all of the equity out using these, these types of, of processes. Uh, and then at the end of the day, they've got no equity left. And when they actually look at the root cause, the root cause was they were spending more than they earned each month. And they were subsidizing that by drawing down the equity, the most valuable asset. So it, the whole point of a house is that eventually it's paid off. So if you're having to tap it consistently, tap into the equity, it's a sign that your monthly budget or, or something is really amiss there and you're not building the long-term wealth that you should be building. You know, anyone who's owned a house in Vancouver for 20 years should not be having financial worries. But I meet with people very often where they might have paid $100,000 for the house and it's worth close to $2 million, but the mortgage is about $1.95 million on it. They've just consistently pulled out uh, you know, a ton of the equity over time. So uh, it, can, it can lead to a very bad outcome for sure. Yeah. And I know borrowing um, from anybody, but specifically friends or family to make a debt payment, I would think that that would be a big sign as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anytime where you're trying to bore yourself out of the situation, so uh, that could be taking money from one card to pay another. It could be trying to get a consolidation loan and not to say that's a bad idea. It could be a good idea. But if that's also in concert with your missing payments and you're worried, you know, it could be an indication of a debt problem. What really challenges people from an emotional point of view is when they've enlarged that problem to not just include the banks anymore and the credit card companies, but now to include mom or dad or brother or sister or children. Uh, that can be really, really tough. So before you decide to resort to family resources, again, it's, it's a, good, a good time to have a conversation with a debt health professional to see, you know, is that the right way to go forward? It might be. I've seen a couple situations where, okay, for a small problem and, you know, the family has the resources, maybe that can work. But for the most part, you're just delaying the inevitable and then adding a whole other emotional component uh, to deal with your debts that wouldn't be there otherwise. Got it. What are the what are the last couple that you wanted to make sure we mentioned? I think the last two are, again, a lot of people will tick every single one that we've talked about here. They're selling yeah. off assets. They're borrowing from friends and family. They're trying to consolidate. But a couple that are pretty classic as well is, are you uncertain about how much you owe and to who? So maybe you've just stopped opening the mail or you've, you've just decided, I'm not even going to respond to anything. And when you, when you finally start to look at your financial situation, you don't know where to begin. So if you don't have a clear sense of where you're at, um, that's usually a big warning sign that your debts are probably not going to be in a good situation. Uh, And the last one almost goes without saying, but I will say it, if you're experiencing legal action, wages being seized, bank accounts being seized, or other assets being seized, uh, that's a giant bread blinking light that obviously you're not meeting your obligations because your creditors are now taking judicial proceedings against you to start to recover their debts. So again, you don't need to, to experience all of these or either any of, even any of these to have a conversation about your debts. But if you are um, finding yourself, a couple of these are ringing some bells, you'll be doing yourself a favor by getting some information, maybe even sooner than you think you need it. Yeah. And I think that's where a licensed insolvency trustee like yourself comes into play, right? I mean, it, you don't have to have a specific uh, issue or you can have lots of issues and lots of debts and need to take some action. But to, just to sit down and, and have a look through and a, a talk about it seems like a beneficial thing to do. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one tool I, w- I would give people listening today is, you know, even if you're saying, you know, these warning signs don't sound there, I'm not really experiencing those, I feel like I'm okay, but you do have a little bit of a concern about your debt, are you actually going to pay it down? Uh, we call this the rule of 60 math, and it's pretty simple if you just say, what's the total amount of debt that you have, and divide it by 60. Okay, so forget about the interest for a minute here, uh, but just take the total amount of debt and divide it by 60 payments, and then take a look at that monthly payment. Is that something that you could afford to pay off over a five-year period? If dividing your debts by 60 gives you this payment that there's no way you could afford to make it, well, then you know you're not actually drawing down your balance. All you're doing is making minimum payments. Um, you're going to be as probably as far in debt five years from now as, as you would be um, you know, just continuing to do what you do. So I would suggest if you do rule of 60, divide your debts by 60 and see, is that a monthly payment you can afford? Um, If so, you should start making that sort of a monthly payment so that you can actually get out of debt. And why, and, and, and let's talk about the role that you can play and a licensed insolvency trustee can play. Why is it that going to see you is one of the very best first solutions? Well, a trustee is the only person that's legally empowered and endorsed by the federal government to help you restructure your debts. So essentially, anybody else that you go to, uh, whether it's your credit creditor, you know, the bank or the credit card company, if it's a credit counselor, um, you know, generally they've got a, a, a horse in the game, so to speak, because of where they're funded. So if you go to the bank, obviously the bank wants to, to get the most of their money back and they're going to give you some advice, but it's going to be relatively self-interested. If you're sitting down with a credit counselor, they're essentially operating as a collection agent. They get their payments on behalf of the bank to recover all the bank's money back. They might be able to give you an interest freeze, but at the end of the day, you might not get advice for your objectives. A trustee is an independent, unbiased professional. You know, Our job is to make sure that the legislation that exists to give Canadians a fresh start to help them get out of debt, that that's applied fairly and equitably to everybody involved. And we're licensed and regulated by the superintendent of bankruptcy. So if you were dealing with a trustee and you have concerns or questions that aren't addressed, you've got somewhere to go. Uh, which you don't necessarily have if you're dealing with an unregulated advisor or dealing directly with the creditor. Uh, You may be uh, out of luck if something doesn't happen the way you thought it should have happened pursuant to an agreement. And I think the key thing here is that what you call yourself, a licensed insolvency trustee, nobody else can call themselves that unless they are that. Absolutely. It's an offense under the law um, if you refer to yourself as a trustee and you're not. So if you know you're dealing with an LIT, you know you've got someone that has, has you know, essentially a lot of uh, official weight behind what they do. Okay, so let's skip down to the idea or the question about what kind of qualifiers would someone need to have to have in order uh, to come and see you? What kind of criteria? How does that work? Yeah, and and this, I'm really happy with this answer, Elaine, because no referral is required and there's never a cost to get advice. Um, So, you know, if I think of the analogy to the healthcare situation, you need to see a specialist. Well, you might be waiting, you need a referral from your GP, so on and so forth. Nothing like that. Anybody can get free debt advice in Canada from a licensed insolvency trustee. Um, And to take action on your debt, you don't need to owe hundreds of thousands of dollars or even tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, The way the legislation is written is you need to be insolvent. And what insolvent means is that you wouldn't be able to pay your debts. So either if you were to sell your property, it wouldn't be enough to pay off your debts. Or if you've just stopped making your payments, you're just not able to make the payments on your debts because you don't have the income or all your money might be tied up in your house, for example, um, you could be considered insolvent. So if you come to see a trustee, you're not going to pay anything uh, to get advice. You're not going to need a referral from anybody else. Uh, And as long as you owe more than $1,000, which is just about anybody these days, um, you would have 
access to these types of remedies. Now, nobody's filing bankruptcy owing $1,000 in debt, uh, but quite often people owe ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. They're considering a proposal or a bankruptcy to deal with the debt and just to stop the cycle that they're on. Yeah, and it, and it's such a oh insidious cycle too. It can impact people in so many ways. Oh, absolutely, Elaine. It's it's all consuming. The people that I see, you know, it's physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual. It can be their their family relationships, their personal relationships. And what's so energizing about my job is seeing the transition that people make when they're discharged from bankruptcy or when they paid off the proposal. Um, you know, money is just one piece of a, of an overall strategy of getting their life back on track. But it's such an important piece, and sometimes you can't get everything back on track until you've dealt with the money situations. To learn more about your, your debt options, if you fall into this category or you want some assistance or some advice and connect with a licensed insolvency trustee in a local BC office near you, visit sans-trustee.com or give them a call at 1-800-661-3030, toll free. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Now, this is a good segment. I know so many people focus on the credit ratings, especially when you're strapped or you're trying to make it a go, and then you've built up a certain amount of credit, and then all of a sudden it feels threatened, and you feel threatened as a result. So we're going to talk about your credit score, and from Blair, learn why it doesn't really matter. So I think this is interesting, Blair, uh, to sort of walk us through the credit score, uh, report basics, explain why you shouldn't let your credit score stop you from dealing with your debt. Such an important, important idea at this point. So let's do this. Focusing on credit ratings and reports, let's start with some of the basic facts so that we can understand this a little bit better if we don't already. Yeah, it, it's definitely an area, Elaine, where there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of misconceptions, and really a lot of mis- misapplied focus, from my point of view, on the consumer. And maybe it's because we don't have a whole lot of indicators that you know really say we're doing well or we're doing not, or doing not so well. So a lot of people really focus. They look at their credit score as a barometer of their overall financial health. You know, if the credit score is high, I must be doing great. If it's low, I must be doing terrible. And it's really not that case at all. We're going to talk today about how a credit score is built up, how you can access it, how you can correct some errors, and why it's really not the metric that you should be focused on. You should be focused on getting out of debt if you're in debt, saving money if you don't have any savings. And if you do those things, your credit score is a secondary consideration, not your primary focus. Now, I know that you've included in the notes that you gave me uh, about credit history and that it is a bit confusing for Canadians because the American system is so different. Is that where we get sort of turned around on it? Yeah, there there can be a piece of that because we get so much of, you know, our, our media and commercials and things. You hear about a FICO score and different things like that. That's just not a thing in Canada. Uh, okay. But what is a thing is a credit report and there is a credit score, not typically called a FICO score, but a credit score. So what a credit report is, is a credit report is a summary of your credit history and includes all of your personal information that's available via public records. So if you've ever used any sort of credit, you're going to have a credit history. So it's going to have information 
information about your debts, when you open the account, what's the balance, do you make the payments on time, when's the last payment that you've missed, have you exceeded your credit limits, are they able to find you, so on and so forth. So for every obligation that you've incurred, or just about every obligation that I'm aware of, uh, it's going to report to either one or both of the credit bureaus in Canada, which are Equifax and TransUnion. So your okay. credit report, it often runs, you know, maybe 10 to 15 pages plus, depending on the amount of history that's on there. Uh, and each of your accounts, item by item, is going to be listed down with all of those factors. Okay, uh, so how's the score part work? Yeah, what most people think when they talk about their credit rating is their actual numerical score. And a credit score, it's a number It ranges from a low of about 300 uh, to a high of about 900. And your credit score is calculated based on all the information that's in your credit report. So you get points for favorable actions, like staying under 50% of your balance, like paying everything on time. And you lose points uh, for unfavorable actions, like making late payments, going over your, your balance or having some legal actions taken against you. Um, now, a credit score, you can pay online, you can try to get an estimate of your credit score, but it's never going to be accurate because just about every lender is going to take the same information and come out with a bit of a different credit score based on their internal processes, their internal systems. So you can get a bit of an estimate, but you know, you might say, well, I'm at 820. And then when you go to the bank and they're showing you at 850 or 750, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your credit report. It just means the way that they're calculating your credit score just could be different within that institution. So to that point, chasing a certain numerical goal in your credit score, usually not worth doing because you're never going to get a bang on to what the, the lender is actually going to be using. So is it important to know what the lender uses for their criteria? I think it's important to know in general terms, but you don't want to make yourself crazy about this. And, okay. you know, most of the time, what's important for good credit is just good financial management. So, you know, pay everything on time with no exceptions. That's number one. Don't miss any payments. Um, you know, an important one is utilization. So as I just mentioned, if you're paying, you know, if you're charging up to 90% of your available credit limit every month, the lender is going to view you as a lot more risky than someone that charges 30 or 40% and pays it off. So, you know, high balances and late payments, those are two things that are negatively going to impact the score, you know, essentially no matter what lender you're dealing with. Okay. So how long do those transactions stay on my credit report? You know, what's interesting here, Elaine, is a lot of people are focused on, you know, the negative, and we'll talk about that if you miss payments or if you were to file a bankruptcy or a proposal, uh, but it's actually the case positive information may be kept for longer than negative information on your credit report. So if you've got an active account that's paid as agreed, uh, it's going to remain on your account as long as the account is open and the lender is reporting it. Um, so, you know, that could be, you know, 10 plus years where you're going to see, okay, this person, they've been paying an obligation, incurring it, uh, and satisfying it every month. Um, if you've got a hard inquiry on your credits, so this is when um, you go and now to be clear, you checking your credit report or your credit score, that's never going to reflect negatively against you. But if you're going out, say, shopping for a vehicle or for a loan from a bank, that's called a hard inquiry if a third party is inquiring with the bureau about you. And too many of those are absolutely going to lower your credit score. And those hard inquiries are going to stay on there for three years. So you can imagine if you're looking at someone's credit score and they've got, you know, 20 inquiries over the past three years, you would view that person as a little bit more risky than someone who's got two inquiries over the past three years. The first person clearly is trying to borrow from anybody in town. The second person, you know, maybe they needed a loan, they tried to apply for it and they got it or they didn't, but it's just a different profile. Okay. Uh, in terms of negative information on your credit, the maximum amount of time that's going to be held is six to seven years. So if you were to file a bankruptcy from the time the bankruptcy is complete, uh, six years from there is when it drops off your credit report. It doesn't appear there anymore if someone pulls a bureau. Okay. Um, 
so information can be kept on agency uh, on on the agency information for six years. What uh, what else should we be concerned about with that? Yeah, so that's you know negative things on your credit. So if you were sued for a debt, or you know if you have absconded, you know, essentially the last negative negative contact, it's going to drop off six years from when that occurred. And again, it could be a bankruptcy that's going to drop off six years. Okay. Uh, another thing to keep in mind is if you didn't file for bankruptcy, but you did restructure your debt. So let's say you did a consumer proposal where you paid back you know thirty cents on the dollar with no interest. Um, that's going to clear your credit report the earlier of six years from when you signed that proposal. Um, or three years from when you pay it off. So if it's a very short-term proposal, you pay it off in a year, well then three years after that or four years in total from the day you signed it, that's when that proposal is going to drop off. So even if you restructure your debts, even the most severe method of using a bankruptcy, it's not a life sentence. It's six years from the day it finishes is when it drops off. But also keep in mind, you can rebuild your credit much more quickly than just when something is going to drop off. Now, I know that you're a great believer, just because I've worked with you for a, t- a bit of a t- bit of time now, uh, that it's important for people to check their credit report. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely imperative. And, you know, I think last Valentine's Day, I was on the news saying, you know, that couples should be sharing financial intimacy and they should be checking each other's credit report and showing it before they ever move in together and incur obligations together. So, you know, maybe that's a little bit extreme, but definitely on an individual basis, we should all be checking our credit report at least once or twice a year. You don't need to pay anything to do this. There's two ways that you can do it. Um, you know, one is by mail. And if you go to sans-trustee.com, at the bottom of our homepage, there's a client resources link. There is a document. You send away there, you get your free copy of your credit report by mail within about a week or two. Uh, If you're in a hurry, you can go online. Uh, Both Equifax and TransUnion during the pandemic, they're offering free access to your credit report online, but this is just a temporary thing. Normally, they're charging $20 to $30, which I wouldn't recommend that you pay. But in the short term, if you really want to get it uh, quickly, you can go to Equifax or TransUnion websites uh, to get a copy of your credit report at no charge. Okay. And again, let's talk about why you think it's so important that people should check their reports. Well, in, in simple terms, because it's often screwed up. <laughs> so every See? time that I pull my credit report, uh, I find addresses I've never lived, uh, uh, obligations I've never had. So you can imagine so many Canadians, so many data points. It's almost a foregone conclusion that there will be an error. And to correct these errors takes time. So the time to correct them is not when you're in the mortgage broker's office trying to get approved for your mortgage. It's not going to happen in that afternoon. But if you've got a couple weeks or a month's notice, you pull your credit, you get something corrected. And then when you need the accurate credit report, it's there for you. I just think that's the most important piece about this whole segment is that even you, somebody like you, who's inscrutable with your finances and and how you manage it, and and that's your life's work as well, but your credit report gets a ton of errors on a regular basis Mm -hmm. just because. Yep. And that's me. So your mileage is probably similar. <laughs> Everyone oh, exactly. should be checking. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's so important. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. Make sure you go to their website if you've got more questions, sands-trustee.com, or better yet, give them a call at 1-800-661-30 for that free consultation and to find an office near you. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.